Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to My Millennial Career. My name is Shelley Johnson. I'm a HR consultant at Boldside, where I help leaders build epic team cultures. If you are a leader in a team or you work in HR or you want to hit your leader up about investing in your team culture, DM me on LinkedIn and let's chat about how we can work together. All right, I just got to get into this episode because it is so good. We are joined by Don Price. He's coming back for round two on My Millennial Career. If you've been a long time listener, you would have remembered Dom's episode a while back. And after that episode ended, I was like, oh my gosh, we need to get Dom back on the show. How do we reschedule this? So today, the stars have aligned and we've made it happen. If you don't know Dom, he is the work futurist at Atlassian and he's their in-house team doctor. On today's episode, we talk all things team. We talk about team culture, about how to build the kind of dynamic. We talk about how to understand the people you work with better. And we get into the skills needed for work when we don't know what the future of work looks like. So with AI and with all these kind of challenges that we're experiencing and uncertainty, how do we build skills that will enhance our career in the long run? And one of my favourite parts of this conversation, Dom shares his big life change, which is that he became a dad and he's had twins in the last little while. And he tells his story about returning to work after having two beautiful babies. Let's jump straight in. Welcome, Dom Price, back to My Millennial Career. It's great to be hanging out. Looking forward to another conversation. Always good fun. Well, a lot has changed since we last talked. Uh-huh. What is the biggest change that's happened in your world since the last time we caught up? My, my profound change since our last conversation is the wonderful arrival of our uh, twin boys who are now 10 months old. So me and my girlfriend became pregnant and then we became parents. And literally, uh, and we spoke about this before, everything changed. Like I thought a few things would change. Maybe maybe I over-intellectualized it. I thought a little bit would change, but absolutely everything in our life has changed. And it's not better or worse. It's just different. It, it's just a whole new schema of two living things that are reliant on you for their life. And you can't argue with, and you can't really even get upset with, because they don't understand what's going on. But basically our, our life, the most profound change was our life changed from like, on a Friday, we'd sit there with a glass of wine going, what should we do this weekend? Like, that was a normal Friday. And we'd just make the weekend up. We'd be opportunistic. Now, every minute of every day is planned. Not that that plan ever happened, Shelley, uh, but we have a plan just in case. And, and instead of kind of just being laissez-faire, I talked to my girlfriend about this, we work in three-hour sprints. Because every three hours, the kids go for a nap, and you're like, okay, we have half an hour, maybe an hour, to plan the next sprint. And in the next sprint, you need to entertain them and feed them and change them and and, and cook some food and blend some food and do something. Like that. And it's just this constant. And then and then you get to nighttime and you're like, oh, I just need sleep to to make it to the next day. So it's relentless and very rewarding in equal parts. I like that relentless and rewarding. I mm. also I also love. It's spoken like a true tech person being like, it's in three-hour sprints. It is. <laughs> so it's silly. Like, I get what you're saying, but it actually ended up being helpful because I was like, if we think about it like this, 
then instead of thinking like, how do we get through the week or how do we get like, it's not insurmountable. It's like, we just gonna get through the next three hours and then they'll have a nap. And then we have a little recharge and then they have a recharge and, and you go again. And so when you think of it, if something feels manageable, when you add it up into days and weeks, it kind of feels a bit like full on. So I'm like, no, just little three-hour sprints, get through the one, let's reflect, let's do a retro, what worked well in that last sprint, and then, and then try again. And then you realize there's no science to it, right? Like, like the, other, the other week, we, like, we played with them lots, and we did a whole lot of fun stuff, and they slept really well. We're like, we'll do that again. And then you do it the same, and then they don't sleep. You're like, there's no rhyme or reason. There's no logic. There is there's no rhyme or reason. It's kind of like, like one day, my youngest Bowie, he's two, he'll be like, I'll eat eight bananas. Yeah. And then the next day, it's like, I hate bananas. I hate bananas, yeah. So it's like, well, you know what? You clearly don't because you didn't hate them yesterday. But there's yeah. no point in reasoning with you because you don't get it. Yeah, that's it. It's just like I love that. It is relentless and rewarding. I'm gonna. I, I probably need to write that down. It. I think it's funny too when you. It's such a dramatic life change, mm-hmm. and we have these routines like you talking about the Friday night, where you, you're sitting Friday night. You're like, what am I going to do? I have a wine. I, I might, you know, I might go for a walk tomorrow. Yeah. Go to the beach. Whatever. And then you have this dramatic life change and you try to fit, for most people, it's it's one little person into their work life, into their schedule. For you guys, it's double trouble. Like it's like two, two babies into your life. How have you gone with the juggle? Just to context of this, we've done lots of, well, we've done a couple of podcasts talking to mums about the transition mm. back to work from par- parental leave. But I'd love from your perspective as, as a newish dad. Yeah. How have you gone with that, the juggle? Yeah, it's a real struggle, to be honest. I, I think I underplayed how much it would impact me. So the first 10 weeks after the kids were born, I, I'm in a very luxurious position with it last year. We get 20 weeks paternity leave as a dad, right? So I'm like, massive gift. So we agreed that I'd take 10 up front. But because the kids weren't kind of demanding, like they just had milk and just lay on you all the time. And we were just like zombies. I'm like, to try and keep my mind active, I kept on getting my phone out and I just checked the odd Slack message or check the odd email just because it was like, like nice to stimulate the brain because I didn't find doing anything with the kids particularly stimulating. And that was a mistake because then, you know, it was weird because when the 10 weeks paternity leave finished, I hadn't been away from work, but nor was I properly in it. I was neither of either. Like I was aware of some stuff that had been going on. So I hadn't been away enough to be like detached from it. And I hadn't been in it enough to be close to it. I didn't have the proximity, so I was kind of neither of either. So I actually found that return to work after those 10 weeks really hard because quite a lot of change. In the world of it lasting, a lot changes in 10 weeks. And so I was kind of like, I was coming back as the old me, but with new responsibilities. Like I'm a dad now and I've got to do a feed or do a change. or like, how do I help out? And, and, and trying to understand that new role I'm playing, which I don't know, I just, it, it, again, it, it intellectually made sense, the idea of being a dad, but I didn't understand what the role was till it came along. And then you kind of drop back into work and you're like, how do I find how do I find a way to be a great employee and a great teammate and a great dad and a great partner when when actually I don't know that I was doing all of those before. And I've just added in a new one and there's still only 24 hours in the day. Mm. And so I actually found the return to work really hard and, and had a great conversation about three weeks in with my boss. And I was like, I'm really struggling. I'm a, I'm turning up in meetings that I don't know that I should be in, but I'm, I'm in them and I'm not feeling like I'm adding value. I'm not in other ones that maybe I should be in. And, and I find out afterwards and I'm feeling like a spare wheel. I, and I was just a bit lost and I, and I just lost my identity. Some of which was the new identity of being a dad. And some of it was just a lot of change in 10 weeks and I hadn't either been in or out. And what we realized was we never did a return to work plan for me 
because because I was sort of hanging around quite a bit, no one thought of doing a return to work plan because it didn't really seem like I'd been away. But mentally, I kind of was away for 10 weeks. And so we, we changed that, right? For my second 10 weeks, which I've just returned from now, you know, we had the, the, the luxury of going to the UK for, for six weeks to go and visit family. But when I returned from that, the very first meeting I had was, here's your return to work plan. And I was like, damn, that's made a difference, right? So here's what happened while you're away. Here's the thing. And I made a change. I detached 100% from work. So before we got on the plane to the UK, I got my phone out and I deleted every single work app wow. off my phone. I'm like, there's no need. This is, there's no fire that's going to happen that needs me. The team, I've got a team. They're smart people. They've got it. And I'm not saying they're not going to miss me. There might be things I could help on, but they're going to be fine. And people stepped in, but I'm like, I'm going to remove them. You've got my, my mobile number if you need me, but I can't think of anything where you do, but, you, but call me if you do. And I didn't get a single message, right, in, in eight weeks. And so what it meant was I was mentally refreshed returning, but also it put the pressure on that return to work plan to actually be effective. And it, and it was, right? So I reckon within three days, I was back in the flow. I'm like, oh, that, that's weird because I was more removed for the second 10 weeks, but it was easier returning. Hmm. The first 10 weeks, I wasn't that removed and it was really hard returning, which logically makes no sense to me, but that was the experience I had. And, and then I shared that with a lot of dads to say, hey, you know, I, I know there's a HR trigger in a lot of, of systems that says, you know, mum returning to work, do return to work plan. Is there a same thing for dads? And they were like, I don't know. Because we don't we don't track we don't always track it that way. So I was like, yeah. we, we need one because otherwise you can easily drop back in and feel very lost. What is on because a lot of people, a lot of our listeners, Dom, won't have that return to work plan. And mm. I think they could almost, if their organization doesn't have one, they could almost create one. What yeah. what's on that return to work plan? I mean, it ended up being a 90-minute conversation, which was here's the big decisions that got made while you're away. Uh, here's the planning, here's the the kind of milestones we've put in place, decisions we've made or, or things we've decided we're going to do. Here's some things that are happening in the next few months that you should be across. And here's some open discussions. These are things that are happening right now that I'd love your input on. And when I say input on this one, your role is agitator. On this <laughs> one, your role is provocateur. On this one, your, your role is decision maker. I'm like, oh, because like input could mean very, very different things. So I'm like, okay, what, what does it actually mean? They're like, okay, here's what we actually mean by each of those roles. I'm like, oh, I can do that now. So it, it meant that I got to focus my time in the right way on the right things. And then one of the things that was important for me was getting with my team quickly. So that was the conversation with my boss to get with my team to go, hey, let's just level set. And we were very fortunate that the week after I got back, we actually had an offsite where we could all be together. And I was like, just talk me through the last eight weeks. Just tell me the story. Like, Good, bad, ugly, indifferent. Who's who's really annoyed you? Who's made you happy? Right? Which have been the tricky conversations? Who do you want to strangle? Like, let's just let's just have, like warts and all. Let's just have that conversation now. And we had it. And then we're like, cool. Let's level set. That we've had that conversation. What happens now on? What what happens from this day forward? Because a lot of that was then buffering stuff I would have done, right? Or, or where I would have been in a leadership conversation. One of my teams stepped into it and gone, this, this is too much. I, I'm, I'm not normally privy to all this information, and it's overwhelming. I'm like. I'll take that off you. I'm going to take that. Off. But you keep these things. So there was this weird side effect. My team have got a, a brilliant amount of empathy for what my role is because they're like, I don't want to do that. Um, <laughs> you, you can you can keep that. Bit, can, all right. But then yeah. there's other bits they've seen. They've gone, oh, actually, like the context I got from being in that planning meeting, whilst it took ages and it's frustrating, was kind of good context. I'm like, oh, I, I now know to share more of that with you. So you know, it's connecting with my boss on you know, organizationally what's happened and then connecting with my team to go, how was your experience? You know, good, bad, and indifferent. 
And then let's do a reset and back now. And how do we want to operate together? Which was important because I didn't want to copy, cut and paste how we used to work because stuff has changed in the 10 weeks I've been away. So I'm like, oh, let's let's reset our, our expectation of how we engage. Let's use this opportunity to go, not a blank piece of paper, but how do we want to communicate? What meetings do we want to have? What's our cadence? Uh, what's our focal areas, right? Where, where are we at in planning? Let, let's get the certainty we need to do the job we need to do. I love that around, I'm just envisioning, and I remember coming back to work after my two babies and and we didn't have that return to work like as like a kind of conversation. Mm. And I'm just thinking now how much that would reduce the overwhelm. Oh, the overwhelm and the anxiety, mate. Like I was just carrying the first return to pretend from paternity leave. I was carrying anxiety. Like I'd finish my work and I'd, I'd go to like do stuff with the kids and with Beck and my girlfriend. And I wasn't in a good mood because I'm like, I'm, I'm anxious because I don't know if that day's work I just did was any use or not. And so the lack of signal was just, it, it sends you into this spiral, which is an ever fulfilling like downward spiral versus going, actually, I've just got a little bit of certainty of what I am doing. And then I can put the building blocks in around the side. But if you don't give me that start, you're just guessing. I think this is such a big challenge for so many people in their careers, this process of you almost take on, I love how I think you referred to it as that sense of it's kind of like a new me, like I've got a yeah. new identity, mm. I'm, but I'm coming back into an environment where I'm known quite differently. Yes. Like pre, you know, pre-kids, like you can you can work way longer hours, like you can work in a, in a different way, like you're very kind of focused on this is, this is who I am and then all of a sudden you come back in, you're like, I've got one hour sleep last night and I'm like freaking dying over yeah, here. Yeah, and I'm, like supposed to- I'm a zombie. I'm a, I'm a low functioning zombie right now. And yeah. I think you're about to ask me to make a decision. It's not going to happen. I mean, I can make one, but it's not going to be like, one. sounds good. Go for it. Yeah. But, but Shelley, it's, it's fascinating because I think like anchoring it on uh, birth and, and kids and, and parental leave and stuff again, makes sense. But I think there's many instances in life where something changes and we don't pay it enough homage and, and it's not like someone's going to have like labels, right? You, you're not going to change your Zoom label to like, I, I'm Dom and I once had corrective surgery. You're like, you, you don't want to start labeling yourself in that way. But actually, sometimes that context is important. And so I actually got to run a workshop this morning for a team that has kind of in theory been together for about a year, but they'd lost some team members, they'd gained some team members, they've got like a new strategy, kind of a new mission. And they were bumbling along like it was going okay, nothing was on fire. And I chatted to one of them the other week and I was like, I, I think we can make this better than okay and so we ran this session called working agreements which is as a team what is our working agreement of like who we are so there's like a bit of a my user manual you know i like feedback in person you like it written after the event uh, i work these time zones this one guy's got four kids one guy's got seven dogs it's like cool like just tell us a little bit of a story of who we are so we so we know who we're working with and then we explicitly agreed as a team what communication channels we're going to use and what, how we're going to use them how we meet and when we meet and what for, what the outcomes are, what everyone's role is. And you could see the eyes like people going, oh, I didn't know that was my role in that meeting. That's good that we're agreeing this because that's not how I've been turning up. I assumed it was something else, right? What's the escalation path when something goes wrong? And what's our model for continuous improvement? Right, four really simple things. Nothing rocket science. At the end of the hour, the whole team's like, oh my God. <laughs> like not because any of us are malicious or stupid, but we were all acting differently because we've all come from different teams and different experiences. And we just thought our old team was the normal way of doing it. And we copy, copy, paste that. We had seven different ways of working. And so just getting that harmony of how we work as a team and that agreement was huge. And one of the guys was like, hey, by the way, me and my wife are pregnant and I'm going to go on paternity leave in a few months' time. And they're like, oh, well, now we know that. 
we can plan for that. And I'm like, hallelujah. Like, that doesn't, like, you get nine months notice. Like, you, that doesn't need to be a surprise. But he's like, I can plan for that. And I said to him, also, from my experience, plan for your return. Yes. So, so now it's part of your working agreement. It means when we've got your roles and responsibilities written down, they have to go to someone else while you're away. So like we have to allocate those out. What does that mean? How do we still come together as a team? So it becomes a conversation on purpose. The thing is, none of this is rocket science. It all looks like common sense. We just don't do it day to day. And so doing that activity with the team this morning was groundbreaking for them just to agree those baseline, like how they work together. Yeah, how do we behave? You said this really cool thing in that uh, you use the word harmony. Like mm. I've been thinking heaps about this idea of often what we want on teams is unison like mm, we want consensus. like yeah and like yeah. everyone but if you think about music like I, I I love music I love do you like Hans Zimmer like yeah uh, yeah so I love listening to uh soundtracks to yeah. films because the thing with that with a film soundtrack is you could have 68 different instruments and they're all doing things super differently it's yeah. a totally different skill set it's a totally different like the, the notes that they're playing are completely mm. different, but it works in harmony. It's not uniformity. It's yeah, not it's, everyone's... it's euphoria, in fact. It, it creates more of an energy, more of a mood, more mojo than, than a single note by itself. But if you don't dig into on, with a team, how do we show up? What do we like? How do we like to de like debrief? How do we like to share feedback? What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses? If you don't know that, no. you just assume people are like you and do the things yeah. that you do. So, so on this on this call this morning with this this sample team, one of the people on there is like a like an intern based in New York, and she's like, "I don't know, I've never done this before." And then the the, the most tenured person is like, "Yeah, it's got seven dogs at home, four children, and this is his whatever ninth career, and and is a very different stage, but has a huge amount of lived experience." And you're like, "If you two don't have this conversation explicitly." You live in such different worlds, you're going to make fundamentally different assumptions. And, and I don't want you to change the world you're coming from. I just want you to understand the other persons, right? And, and that's where the harmony comes in. So the harmony we created was, you're in this time zone, you're in that time zone. You've got kids pick up and drop off. You've got this, you've got that. What, where is the harmony of what is the hours, the time when we're online and meet in person? We're like, this time. We're like, cool. Look at that, we just agreed something. Like we've now we've locked that in. The rest of the time is free time for you to do your deep work, right? And therefore, what do meetings look like? And, and what do asynchronous look like versus synchronous? Once we lock that all in, suddenly you've got this operating rhythm where you're like, oh yeah, there you go. That makes complete sense. The thing is, that was never gonna happen by accident. It just wasn't. Right. So it was a one hour conversation to get that harmony, but that harmony is all about taking the diversity, taking the different viewpoints, and not nullifying them but finding a way where they can all thrive, right? That, that's our job as leaders, right? It's, it's finding that uniqueness and going, I've actually got a, an environment where you can all thrive and be your true authentic self and bring that and it benefits you and the team, right? That, that's what we're looking for. But you're right, way too often we go, actually, I, I want compliance and consensus. So I'm going to pick one way for us all to do it. And, and it's neutral. And, and in, in some people's voice, they go, well, that's fair because it's the same for everyone. You're like, well, it's not fair. Because some person's having to reach up and someone else is having to reach down. It's not fair. It's not equitable. So actually the fair one is, is to find that harmony and that balance of how they want to operate as a team. And just assume, like, I'm fortunate. We only hire fully formed adults at Atlassian, right? So <laughs> if I'm dealing with adults, I'm like, you're kind of smart enough to deal with this stuff, right? You, you've, you've got a, a, enough common sense on your shoulders for us to have this adult conversation. I think there's also, if you think about where we're, we're hiring fully formed adults, 
And fully formed adults do this awesome thing where we want to genuinely understand a different person's perspective. Like a mature adult does Mm -hmm. that and they do that regularly. But I don't know what happens on teams and you see this like I would imagine all the time where something happens and we get stuck in our own worldview and Mm. don't really seek to understand different perspectives. And I I, I think that's where so much of team conflict comes into play. Yeah. Like, is that what you see? I think the root cause of it, if if I had to pick one, there's probably multiple root causes. If I had to pick one, it's busyness, (laughs) right? When people get busy, they tend to go to this like default style of how they think, right? Like if if you ever want to know someone's true leadership style, just turn the heat up on them and you see it, right? You, You don't see someone's true style when things are going well. You see it when something's going wrong, right? If they bang the table, you're like, that's what you really like. And so <laughs> and so for me, I'm like, cool, let, let's assume that stuff's going to go wrong at some point. But like, let, let's have that conversation up front. And then I think the reality is, you know, we invest a good amount of time in saying, how do we go about building a cohesive team? And to do that, you need to understand the other humans in your team. You need to understand a little bit about their background. And, and you probably haven't got the time to walk in everyone's shoes. But how can you understand just enough right where, where you, you can be curious I think we're like, like you say we've all got inbuilt curiosity we turn it off because we're too busy right because it feels like a luxury what we say is not a luxury it's essential so in this exercise this morning we, we went around the room like like your time zone uh your family situation where you live how you operate your hobbies like stuff that a whole of other organizations go well that's just a waste of time right well you do you like chit chat mindless chit chat you're like no you know if i go and buy a tv it comes with a user manual right if anything you buy this day day and age comes with a user manual and you hire humans which are really expensive purchases and we don't come with the user manual so like shelly i don't know how to operate you i don't know how to work with you and so all i do is i fill in those gaps with assumptions because it's quicker it's just really dangerous versus going you know what shelly i don't have to guess i don't have to guess how you operate i just have to ask you how you operate and listen Peter, a lot of leaders I work with, certainly on the mentoring side, don't realize the power of listening. I might ask a question and shut your mouth and open your ears. You'd be amazed what you learn. But you're not going to learn by telling someone how they operate. And so the exercise we did this morning was a lot of listening. Listening around the room, like how do we operate? What makes us tick? What makes us angry? What are our pet peeves, our frustrations, right? our kryptonite, our superpowers? Go around and have that conversation. You're like, ah, oh, I can work with you way more effectively now because I know a little bit about you. That understanding goes an awful long way. I love the pet peeves question. It's got to be one of my favorites. Faves, like, I think every new hire should be asking all their team mates, "Hey, what annoys you? Yeah, what, <laughs> like, what, what triggers you? Like, what just sets you off on a little tantrum that you know you shouldn't do? Like, that, it, so what's yours, Shelley? What's your pet peeve? Oh, okay, it's so easy. I hate if I'm in, in the if I go into the office, I hate music that's on on out loud. Oh yeah. Yeah, like that's just like noise pollution kills me. I think noise pollution was something that only affected me after my late thirties. Before then, I used to love noise. Now I'm like, shh, everyone, quiet. <laughs> and then after kids, you're like, yeah. everyone, shh, everyone, like, no, everyone, be quiet. everyone, so everyone, my, everyone walk on your tiptoes because you could wake up a sleeping that's baby. It. If the baby's asleep, <laughs> everyone. Um, no, so mine, mine, like in a non-work context, is when you're in the supermarket or any kind of shopping experience, and someone's got like a trolley full of stuff, and it all gets scanned, and then the person says. That's $38, please. And they're like, huh? And they suddenly start looking for their wallet or purse. I'm like, you knew. You knew that at the end of that tallying up, there's a transaction to take place and you should be better prepared. <laughs> that's, not, that's such an obscure one, but I, I like it. I'm glad you I don't know that. why it annoys me. I was in the supermarket. I could see it happening. I'm like, I could feel, I'm like, all the things, all this genuinely stressful things that happen in my life that I'm like, doesn't bother me. And someone in front of me <laughs> shopping and not having their, their transaction ready, I'm like, 
Okay. So everyone needs to know if they're in the shots with you, they're like, yeah, they seem, you better be prepared. Just you have a credit card or a phone ready. <laughs> just have your face recognition ready to go. Um, what about for you on a team, like to mm. flip the question around, what are the things that you feel like you are a non-negotiable to you for your team members? Like what are the things that you're like, I, I really want to have this on my team? There's a few things. One is um, – I, I hate the word trust because it gets thrown around too much, but a, a sense of belonging. The thing I look for is, are we willing to have respectful dissent? There's a huge amount of steps that that, that you have to take to get there. But for me, if, I, if I'm on a team where we just play nice all the time, I'm going to disengage. I, I have to be on a team where, regardless of seniority, experience, whatever, the people around me are willing to call BS on me and I should feel comfortable calling BS on, on them. And if we haven't got that, I feel really throttled like the, the psychological safety that i need to be able to operate at that level and to have that constructive conversation is, is amazing but when it's not there it, it's like a lack of oxygen like it's it's suffocating and so it, it's a weird non-negotiable because there's so many steps to, to take to achieve it around demonstrating trust and having each other's back and, and authenticity and openness and all of the jazz but but when you do that and you achieve it i'm like ah, oh, like we, we can go do anything as a team because we're, we're going to cover each other's blind spots, but we're also going to call each other out. We're, we're not going to get blinkered. And that, for me, in, in a team is, is very powerful. The second one that I think I've just, uh, I don't know if this is sort of a, a phase of my career, but you know, the, the role of purpose or shared understanding, is, as I call it. You know, I've, I've worked on lots of teams that have been very transactional. Like we know what we're doing, but we don't know why. And I think, you know, as, as life's gone on, I've realized how deeply unsatisfying I find that, just completing a task or a transaction versus going, Here, here's the purpose of the North Star of why we're doing this. And here's the impact in terms of the person that we're trying to help, right? It could be an internal customer or the end customer. Here's what it should look and smell and feel like for them. And for me, when you buy into that emotional change, it fundamentally alters how I turn up to work because I'm like, oh, now, now I'm in service of something else. It's not about me or the team. It's I'm in service of something else. And if we deliver this in a meaningful fashion, here's the people we get to impact, and here's the positive impact we have on them. You're like, well, it's a no-brainer. Of course we should do that. And so as a motivator, it becomes almost intrinsic versus, you know, wake up in the morning and checking your bank balance and going, I get paid in two weeks. What work should I do today? And, and that, that's a complete extreme. But, you know, financial metrics have never been a motivator, but shared understanding and understanding the purpose and the impact on other people has certainly been a, an important aspect of teamwork for me. And one, again, that sparks brilliant conversation. Because if we're aligned on why we're doing it, we can have amazing arguments about how we do it. But if we're yeah. not, those arguments on how we get there are just weird battles that with quite low EQ in them, right? It just becomes a, a, a weird sort of uh, almost land grab versus going, hey, hang on, we've all got the same mission in mind. Now let's have a thoroughly good argument. How do we best get there? That's a brilliant argument to have. Yeah, but without yeah, without the why behind mm. it, you know, you can slice it so many different ways and still get to the outcome. It's like what is the best way to yes. do that? And if you have that clear purpose mission articulated for the team, it's a lot easier to, to get there. But also our behaviours often need to, like our behaviours on a team need to serve that overarching why. How do we get alignment in that? If you want to grow in your career, I just wanted to remind you about our book, Sort Your Career Out and Make More Money. Glenn James and I have written this book to help you with any kind of career crisis, but also those things that you want like getting a promotion, making more money, moving into a leadership role, 
or if it's time to quit your job. You can find our book wherever you get good books from, or you can listen on the audiobook, sort your career out and make more money. Now let's get back to the show. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I'd love to know, with purpose, how do you, because I think for me, I often feel like there's multiple whys going on in our like yeah, work. Yeah. So like we've got like, we've got the kind of like maybe the surface level, which is I need to get paid. I need to, yeah. you know, provide for my family. And then there might be a deeper level of why. Yes. How, but how do you uncover? You've just described Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? <laughs> we've all got, we've all gone back to like being 16, doing some commerce, right? Qualification <laughs> going, here's Maslow's hierarchy. I need a full order book. And then at the top is self-actualization. But yeah. I joke, it's kind of the same thing, right? There's, there's purpose, which is like base level purpose, roof over my head, right? Health, safety, you know, food on the table. And you're like, cool. And, and then you graduate up. And, and the thing is, and, I, and I'm, I'm going to say this as safely as I can, the, the further you go up there, the more privilege you get, right? So I'm, I'm fortunate I've, uh, I'm in a position where I don't have to worry about a roof over my head. But what it means is instead of worrying about that, I worry about other things. You just replace the worry, but with higher level worries. And so I've just realized the more and more people I meet, everyone's worried about something. It's just at a different level. And so I seek a different level of purpose, right? I I was seeking some purpose earlier this year in my work. And I'm like, you know what? I'm very fortunate. I have this sort of work very much in control of my own destiny here. So I do, as you know, Shelley, a lot of public speaking. And I charge for that public speaking. I donate all that money to charity, right? So for years, I found that really fulfilled a meta-level purpose of helping others, right? So there's three charities that I donate all my speaker fees to. And in about an 18-month period, I've done about $500,000 in speaker fees. Not a cent came to me, right? I don't need a medal. don't need a certificate. I do it because I want to. It's a choice I've made. And I get to hear from those three charities about what they do. But in January this year, right, the kids are like three or four months old. And I'm like, I, f- I feel like there's more out there. And I feel like there's another level of purpose I can tap into. But but what might that be? And I just had an idea one day at Atlassian, we get five days foundation leave. And there's a whole lot of not-for-profits that have been asking me to come and do talks, but they couldn't afford the 25, 35, 50 grand fee that I charge. And I was like, oh, I'm going to use my foundation leave to do not-for-profit talks, right? So I put a blog out on LinkedIn, billions of requests, and, and I picked 20 events that I'm doing this year. Those 20 events, if I charge them, let's say, notional 25 grand each, would be $500,000 worth of, of money. But instead, I'm doing them for free with not-for-profits that really need help, right? I, I did two this week. I did one with Homelessness New South Wales and one for Teach for Australia. I'm like, this is phenomenal. I get to use my skill and my time 
to have a positive impact on people that are doing things way better than I'm ever going to do. Like the homelessness New South Wales and the things they're trying to achieve right now with flooding and post-pandemic and economy, I'm like, oh my God, you're literally putting roofs over people's heads. So if I can share with you and the team anything that makes you operate better, that's a that's a brilliant gift, right? Same with Teach for Australia. They're like, we're trying to build an education system that supports future children in an economy we don't yet understand. I'm like, that's another really worthwhile cause. So that's my purpose right now. But if I go back five years, that was my purpose, right? My purpose was growth and promotion and career-driven, right? You go back five years before that, it was travel and adventure, right? Five years before that, so it's a different age stage. And so I think the biggest exercise for us is whatever stage you're at, like don't beat yourself up, but just give yourself a little bit of time to have a think. Like what, what is your purpose right now? What does fulfilling that mean for you and for others? And when you have fulfilled it, what's next? Like what, what's the next level of, of purpose? Because I, I think I don't. Th- I think sometimes we think it's like a singular thing, and you get it, and then you're done. And I don't think it is. I think it's in perpetuity. I rem- and I remember that LinkedIn post, and that went so nuts because everyone's like, "Yes, please!" It was so good. And I think I love what you're saying around purpose. You, you said at the end of that little closing remark of, "It's it's your purpose for yourself, but also for others." Yeah. And I the most rewarding wise like W-H-Y-S, that sound not wise as in wise, the most rewarding purposes are when we are in service, I think, of something. It's mm. kind of like the Adam Grant give, give and take idea of yeah. when we're givers and when we're driven to help others, there is something way more meaningful mm. in that than simply like what my, same as you, my early career things would have all been me focused of like I want to climb the ladder, which, you know, now I'm like, oh, bloody burn the freaking ladder. Like the ladder sucks. Well, like- here's the thing, right? This is, this is what I mean by privilege is that I think we're allowed to talk about higher level purpose because we did that. Like if I hadn't mm. been so career focused, growth focused, promotion focused, whatever else, and got to position me now, I wouldn't have the luxury of giving away that, that, those fees to charity, right? If, if I didn't have a roof over my head, I'd be taking that money to pay the bills, right? And, and to put food on the table. But I've done the work to cover that, so now I can. And so I, I think this is why I see it as not, not a privilege in a bad way, but like we've done we've done the work to, to enable that next level of purpose. But that doesn't mean that someone who's not climbed the corporate ladder, I, I think that they should give away half their money to charity. I don't think they should. I think they should do what they need to do. But but I also know people that then go and volunteer their time at, at food banks and stuff. And I'm like, again, that's an, an amazing cause. Like whatever the thing is for you, find it and tap into it. But But I think your point there is, it's going to work for you and for the recipient. Like when, when you find that mutual benefit, that's when you know you've landed on something. Yeah, and it is an absolutely good call out around the privilege stuff because there'll be times in your career where you have a priority that is an absolute essential of going, in this time of my life, I need to, and I know lots of people right now, lots of our listeners on My Millennial Money, are the, the number one thing that is focusing that you'll be focusing on is I, I need to pay my mortgage like yeah. rates going up interest rates inflation absolutely cost of living salaries and, haven't gone up at the commensurate rate and a lot of people are feeling the pinch you're like okay like let, let's let's do that then that, that that becomes our purpose right and and I think that the it's like when the pandemic hit like we, we went from like every conversation I was in pre-pandemic was about thriving and then the pandemic hit, we're like, yeah, forget thriving, surviving. Like, let's get <laughs> downgrade. Right? Let's and down. you do. We, we, we went from peacetime to wartime. Wartime's very different. And then we came out of the pandemic. We're like, is it okay to talk about thriving again? We're like, yeah, we thrive for a bit. And then we're like, the economy's gone a bit south. You're like, okay, 
might be back onto survival. And, and I think that ebbs and flows. And I think it's just congruent for us to ha- to have the conversation like, where are we at? And where are the people that you're working with at? Are they in a survival mode? They might not want to talk about the higher echelon stuff, right? They might not want to talk about intrinsic motivation and engagement. They're like, I just need to get by. I just need to get through this week. I think the importance of how do you have conversations about this, John, mm. because if I as a leader don't know how to read the room and see yeah. where my team are, yeah. how are they doing? I, I had oh. a conversation with a leader the other day where weren't really keen on asking their employees the question of how are they feeling. I was like, oh, that's heavy. Like oh, yeah. if your employees feel like you don't care about them, like what is that message that we yeah. send? And I, I just think how do we know where people are at and we know each person's individual why. Mm. Like what an amazing thing that would be for the health of a team if we knew that about each other. Oh, yeah, health of a team and for your bottom line. Like it's not just a selfless activity of like being that. People sometimes get confused like, oh, all that being nice sort of soft fluffy stuff. And you're like, no, 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 it pays a dividend. Like even if you, like if you want to be a cutthroat leader, do it for business. Still be authentic, but do it for business reasons because that person that feels heard and engaged in a sense of belonging will give you more of themselves in their work. They're going to contribute more to the team. They're going to give you a better outcome. Like, so it, it's not a game of pretend or let's be nice because we have to be because one in HR said, you know, the flavor of the month is be nice. People was like, <laughs> if you genuinely give a shit about your people, they will return that favor. What is interesting though, and, and this I've found with, with quite a few leaders, is they want to ask their team how they are. They don't know how to or they don't know what to do if they respond with, I'm not well. And so that that's a genuine barrier for a lot of leaders who have only led in peacetime, they've only led through growth in peacetime and wonderful times. They're like, what if I ask and someone says they're struggling? Like, I don't know what to do. And so they're like, you know what? I just won't ask because then I'll never know. And you're like, the thing is, if they weren't well and you didn't ask, you've not made them any better. So I, I think one of the things we owe it to people, certainly frontline leaders, is to educate them. How do you have those conversations and how do you not make it worse? You're not a mental health coach, right? I'm never asking you to be, you're not a psychologist. I'm not asking you to be that, but I'm asking you to care about your people and then know how to escalate if they are struggling. How would you respond if an employee came to you and said, uh, you asked the question, how are you feeling? And, and I said, Dom, I'm, I'm really not okay. Yeah, the, the first question is tell me more about that. I'm like, just... If you're comfortable, tell me more about what's going on because it, it kind of, again, I need context, right? Is it is it I'm not okay, I can't pay the bills? Is it I'm not okay mentally or stuff? Is it not okay health, personal health, physical health? Like, And so I, I've, I've done enough of those conversations where I'm comfortable to say, if you're comfortable, tell me more about that. And then the more context I get, the more I'm looking for, how can I connect you with someone who can help? It's not necessarily that I'm the person that's going to help, but at least I can listen. And then the second question I always ask people is, do you want to just talk about this or do you want to solve it? Which is always important. I think it's most important in relationships right, with significant others when they, they want to bleat about something and you're like, is this a, do you want me to give you the answer? <laughs> no? Okay. You want me to just listen and no, no answer this time. And other times I'm like, nothing, you want the answer. Okay. Cause I've got the answer. I think just knowing what the other person wants from it. Sometimes just it's cathartic just to get stuff off your chest. Other times they're like, this is a cry for help. I'm like, oh, it's good to know. Cause otherwise I, I could, guess and get that wrong so they're they're the two questions that i'm trying to ask like one like if you're comfortable tell me more and two do you just want to vent and and get this off your chest or do you you need help and if so let's go and find the right people that can help you because there's always someone that can help they're beautiful questions and the thing that i love about those questions there's no judgment no 
I think when we we feel like we need to make an evaluation or a judgment call on something, whereas tell me more is such an open, safe question to ask and it just gives that person space to be heard. Yeah, and it gives them permission to decide how much they do and don't tell. I'm like, if you're not comfortable telling me something, don't tell me. There's no pressure. But like, it, it, it's it's tell me what you're comfortable surfacing and sharing. And, and normally, the more they speak and the less judgment they get, the more comfortable they get sharing, right? Self-fulfilling. I was I'm interested on this topic. I was running a leadership workshop a little while back with uh, it was a bunch of older men. Mm, that's <laughs> that. Most businesses. <laughs> and um, one of the things that came up was around this conversation and, and one of the leaders in the room said, how do I deal with complex emotions? And and for me as someone who, like I'm a hard on my sleeve person, so I'm like a crier. Mm. And so I'm like, if someone sits next to me and cries, I'm going to cry with them. I'm yeah, just, just like, uh, I'm, like, I'm just all Don't in. Don't crying. But like... <laughs> probably the worst but I guess for me I'm like oh how when you're my bias would be that a lot of people are comfortable with emotion Mm. when really I've learned over the years doing HR doing leadership stuff of you know it's not everyone's sweet spot what would your advice be to leaders who aren't comfortable with emotion of how they navigate some of those complex raw and vulnerable moments with their team yeah I think there's two words you threw in there that are often confused that, that I think we can separate. So one is is emotion, the other one is vulnerable. I, I don't decide whether you should be emotional or not. That's your personal choice, that's your identity, how you choose to live and what you choose to share. But if you're not vulnerable, that that's a problem for me, right? Vulnerability is different to emotion. It, it, it's a level of openness. It's, it's I'm with you on the journey. It's a level of exposure and, and like, how do we accomplish this together? It's a level of partnership vulnerability i think for the for the best leaders i work with is their superpower i don't think they always know it but it's their superpower and a lot of those people aren't highly emotional people but they they will show their vulnerability at the right time and they'll, and they'll say in a very calm methodical fashion i don't know what i'm doing right now i'm about to take on a scary role and i don't know what i'm doing and i'm like you know what? i want to help you because you're being vulnerable right you're being a leader and you're being honest and open with me they're not crying. They're not sad. They're not skipping. They're not high fiving. They're just like talking facts because that's how they operate. They're a genuinely unemotional person, but they can still be vulnerable. So for me, emotion is is a choice, but vulnerability for proper leadership in this day and age is is a non negotiable. Uh, the best leaders I work with do that in such an authentic way that it's it's palpable. Right, it, you can see it and feel it and sense it, and it's a it's a massive multiplier. Because I'm like, I want to work with you. I want to help you. I want to support you. I want to be like whatever the things are. It, it's compelling versus the very uh, stoic, brave. Everything's all right. It'll all be okay. I'm like, yeah, no, that's that's not my jazz. Right? That's not my style. I don't feel like I'm going to be in a safe environment with you because I don't. I think if something goes wrong. I don't think you're going to share it with me, right? And and I, I need that level of, of exposure. And it's it's the humanity that you bring to it, right? I, I think we struggle to trust, and this could be a generalisation, but for me I, I struggle to trust people who seem like they've always got it all together because yeah. I'm like, wait, I don't want to work for someone who feels robotic. Like I want to yeah. work for someone who feels like open, honest, transparent and, yeah, there's, there's the good days and sometimes there's those bad days, but they're open enough to share, oh, hey, I don't have all the answers to that. Or, hey, you know what, this week's been pretty tough for yeah. these reasons. I think we all wear a mask, right, to some degree. I think some people wear such a thick mask, we have no idea what's behind them. We have no idea about the real person. And I think there's some people just wear a thin veil where they're like, hey, 
I'm going to be an authentic version of me, but I filter some stuff out, right? There's some stuff that I just keep to myself. So I think we, we all carry something where you're like, you're not going to get the full, full version of me. There's always a little something that I leave behind, but I'm being authentic versus the ones that are wearing such a mask that you're like, I don't even know who it is behind that. And and I think that's the one I struggle with where I'm like, I, I, I can't sense your authenticity because everything feels staged or managed or performed and it doesn't feel real. It doesn't feel like it comes from the heart. It's a good, good way to put it of like they've got that full on mask. Mm. And like, I don't know who you are. Yeah. And then I don't know if I can have, if I don't know who you are, do I have permission to show who I am? Yeah. Yeah. And I don't have a meaningful connection with you because I don't know who you are. Leadership and teams are weird, aren't they? <laughs> it's, the reason it's weird is because when you decipher it down to its basic elements, it looks like common sense. There's nothing, honestly, nothing rocket science about it. But when you combine it back together and you put humans in the mix, you're like, oh, stuff just got murky really quickly. And it's it's great because for me, it means I'll never be out of a job. Right? My passion is building highly effective teams. I'm like, in my lifetime, I'm not going to be out of a job because we're not going to solve this anytime soon. But I do actually think we're making meaningful progress. I think we're starting to have more of the right conversations about how we tap into humanity and how we think about that in conjunction with advancements in technology, not instead of advancements in technology. It's like how do humans and tech work in this symbiotic world? It's some great conversations to have, not is AI the future or are humans the future? I think we're both the future. We just need to find out you know, how we play nicely together. <laughs> and on that, I'd love to know, because I did get a a couple of listener questions around this th- whole thing. And I don't know if you're totally sick of talking about the AI dynamic and mm. it's just so much, obviously there's fear around it and there's this whole sense of how do I stay ahead of the curve? How do I build skills for the future when I have no idea what the future looks like? Yep. Like I just, we, we, we now know we're like, we have no control over the future. We don't know what it looks like. What's your whole take? Like what's your message to employees who are listening who are like how do i navigate this yeah. new world yeah AI? so there's there's this weird temptation to try and future proof and and you try and future proof by guessing with high levels of accuracy what the future might look like and then you pick a single path to get there and you're like cool if that path works out brilliant and if it doesn't you're up the creek without a paddle right and so that's that's not the best way of doing it I, I think a better way of doing it, certainly for, for the younger generation, right? I, I think the data shows that with each generation, you're going to have more and more jobs, more and more careers than the previous generation, right? And so like, you know, the generation before me, my, my parents sat me down, you know, they still had the ideal of a job for life. So when I got my first job, they're like, that's what you'll do now, like for life. And I was like, no, I might do like three different things. They're like, <gasps> three, and now they're like, three, three is boring. I want to do 20 different things, right? It, it changes, right? But I think the reality is it's, it's silly to try and guess. If, if I go back to even early in my career, I wouldn't be advising anyone to become a drone technician or a social media manager because drones didn't exist and neither did social media. Now there is a very, very prevalent thing, like podcast host wasn't a thing a while ago. Podcast <laughs> host is a thing, right? And so you're like, okay, so if, it's, if trying to guess at jobs isn't going to work, what's the best proxy? And the best proxy for me is skills. What are the skills I can acquire that I think are transferable and can be deployed in multiple ways? And then inwardly looking, what are the things I'm good at? Like, what, what's my secret source? What's my superpower? You know, I only realized a few years ago that one of my superpowers was storytelling. Because storytelling is not a job. No one's got the job of storyteller. But I used to do a bit of storytelling. And then I was like, ah, other jobs where storytelling is a large component, I should probably look at that because I might find that more enjoyable. And I'm like, oh, it turns out I do. And so I think looking for skills and then and then your skills and superpower, when you combine those two, I think you start to see a whole myriad of these are the types of jobs, 
right, that I might be able to do. And then it's about positioning yourself in organizations to get experience. Because I think one of the, the critical success factors for the future generation is going to be lived experience. It's not, I've gone and read the book on social media, so I'm the best social media manager. It's, I built a website, I built a this, I opened an Instagram account, I went and hacked to this thing, here's what I learned from doing it, I have the lived experience. I'm like, cool, I'm going to hire you. You've not got the certificate or the badge or the credit or the book, but you've done it. So you know what? I'm going to give you a red hot go before the next person. I think lived experience is, is going to be king. And therefore, there's this like subtext that says the ability to be curious, which you mentioned before, the ability to explore and experiment and wonder. You're like, ooh. Yeah, that, that feels way more like artsy and less sciencey. But I'm like, hey, someone who's curious is going to think of an idea that I've not thought about. And someone who's experimental is going to hack at stuff and try and make that work. Like that, that's how we build future tech, future skills, right? Future businesses it is by hacking at stuff. It's not by doing it in the old way, it's by doing it the new way and inventing the new way. So I, I think there's an amazing opportunity for people to go, I'm going to pick up skills. I'm going to do micro credentials to fill in around the gaps. So I'm not going to go and do three or five year qualifications post. You know, university. I'm like, like my generation, everyone's like, are you going to go and do an MBA? It's $150,000 and it's going to take three years. You're like, I've got no choice. Whereas now you're like, you want to go and learn something. Just go and learn. It's on YouTube or LinkedIn Learning or some university course somewhere. Like it's free. And so I think micro credentials, along with saying it's skills based, well, the transferable skills and then lived experience. I, I think that will put someone in a position of having a very enjoyable career and a lucrative career versus trying to second guess what that mysterious job might be uh, and trying to plan for that. And I, I love what you said about future-proofing. I've not thought about that word before in that way around we're not trying to future-proof. We're not trying to put ourselves in a little bubble that we're insulated against the future. No. We're, we're ready to adapt towards multiple different futures. That's it. So you've got a choice. Either you predict it and you plan for it 100% accurate or you prepare yourself for it. And what we're talking about is preparedness. Like, get the right skills. Be prepared to adapt in a world that changes you. Like, that just makes sense. It's just harder for the generation before us. We're like, no, you go to university, you get a qualification, and then for that qualification, you then do that job for life. Then you retire, and then you push up daisies. And you're like, yeah, actually, the model's changed now, right? Lifelong learning is something that whether people have realized it or not, we're all going to have to sign up for. Because there's things I'm having to do in my job now that didn't exist when I was at uni, right, 20-odd years ago. So there's no way of me learning them then. So I have to acquire those skills now, otherwise I become irrelevant. And I've still got 20-odd years before I retire, so it's too early to become irrelevant. So, like, lifelong learning is something we just need to sign up for. And I think that skill of how do you be someone who's super coachable, like how do you be the sort of person that people find it easy to give mm -hmm. feedback to? Because if you're that person that, like, stonewalls when someone gives you feedback or you're defensive, like you're going to block that growth stuff. But if you're the type of person that's like, hey, like I am curious about myself. Yeah. I am curious about the opportunities I have to grow. I am like, I do like have this element of wonder when it comes mm. to learning. Like I love that you use the word wonder. I've, I had not thought about that as a skill. You, you know what? It, it came out, I was, I was tapping in some research a few years ago and I wrote an article about this, about the damage of social media. And I only realized it from my own habits in that I take a break from work. And this was like a bit before the pandemic. I'd be in the office and I'd go down and get a coffee. But I, I'd walk downstairs and I'd have this thing in my hand the entire time. And I'd stand in the queue and I'd order my coffee and be on that. And then I'd get my coffee and I'd do something. I'd walk back and I'd walk back to the office, back to my laptop. And I'm like, I didn't give my brain a break. Mm -hmm. I, I, didn't, I didn't give my brain space to wonder. And I'm like, what, what wonder is a wonderful place. Like it's a, it feels like a complete indulgence and waste of time. But I was like, 
okay, like I need to change this. So when I started working from home, I deleted work caps off my phone. So that's like either I'm on my laptop or I'm not. And if I'm not, I'm not working. So if I go for a stroll, I'm not on Slack or Confluence or checking anything. I'm like, I'm free and I'm just going to let my mind wander. And it goes to like crazy places. You let your mind dream, you let your <laughs> imagination goes wild and you start to tap into that and you're like, oh, good things come out of that. And double win, it's relaxing. Like when I do then return to my laptop, I'm like, oh, work, this is novel. This is fun. And I just <laughs> let my mind go and wander off somewhere in my imagination. Run. Yeah, we, we, used to, we used to do that a lot because we, we used to have boredom. But for boredom. some reason, for the last like 15 years, we've had this strange business model of let's eliminate all boredom because boredom's bad. I'm like, boredom's not bad. Like, boredom's good. Like I was, I had time when I was on paternity leave where I had downtime. I'm like, I'm going to read a book. I'm not going to read a business book because business books are boring. I want to read fiction. And I got into like all this crime fiction and then just sat there and let my mind wonder. I'm like, this is good because like my mind just needs a break. It needs to be remolded, rewired. It needs a refresh. And, and I think whether it be wonder right, or, or fiction or whatever it is that you go and do, just letting your brain just, just have a moment out of this constant focus is actually healthy. I feel like that's such a beautiful way to kind of round this conversation out of going, how much space for wonder do you have for curiosity yeah. and for learning, learning about yourself, learning about the business that you're operating in. And really, I, I, I love that emphasis, Dom, that you have, and you've got such a good voice in this space of how do we focus on skills, mm. not on like tasks. Not on specific or, jobs, yeah. yeah. Just, just on that wonder one, just a tip for people, because I know your people love tips, right? They're like, oh, I like the idea of that, how, how do I? Uh, one of the games that we play in, in quite a few of the meetings, if we ever come up against people like, that's not going to work or we can't do that, or you come up against those people, right? And um, We just wrote on, on the whiteboard, how might we? And the game was you had to start every sentence with how might we? So you can't, you can't say can't. You're like, how might we do that? And you're like, oh, I, I don't think we can. You're like, but how might we? <laughs> How might we? And, and it just flips the brain subtly to go, if we had to do it, how might we? And suddenly you think about the possibilities versus we can't do that and closing it down. So it just opens up the brain slightly. So the, the game of how might we uh, in a team situation, in a meeting can be really healthy for getting other people to wonder. That's so practical. I know lots of our listeners will be able to do that. And if you're leading a team, try that out with your team and the working agreement stuff. I know Atlassian have a lot of awesome practical things on work life, right? Where people can actually create their own user manuals. Yeah. Oh, well, hey, it's just, and I had like a whole bunch of other questions that I wanted to Next ask time, you, but Shelley. I feel like we've had the most amazing conversation and always bloody so brilliant to talk to you Dom thank you so much for coming on the show anytime and and we know the questions you're going to ask me next time because they're already written down for this time yeah they're written down and they're they're juicy I'm not having any more kids before the next one so we'll just have to do it another time (laughs) yeah awesome hey well thank you and as always if you enjoy the show give us a five star rating wherever you listen and send this to a friend who needs to hear this episode thanks heaps We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present, and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. We love learning how to do all things well, which is why we have a bunch of different podcasts on a variety of topics. So go and check out My Millennial Investor, My Millennial Money Professional, My Millennial Property, My Millennial Money, My Millennial Daily, and Retire Right. Find these wherever you get your podcasts.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.